Welcome to the Passive Investing Show, a show that teaches you how to take your hard-earned cash and have it work hard for you, regardless of whether or not you continue to work hard for it. And now, here are your hosts, Jay Scott and Ashley Wilson. Welcome to the Passive Investing Show. I'm Ashley Wilson, and I'm joined with my co-host, Jay Scott. On today's episode, we had Bob Frazier from Aspen Funds. Jay, what did you think about this episode? I thought this was fantastic. I First of all, I really like Bob. Bob and I have a lot in common in terms of our histories. Um, he started out as an engineer doing software development, uh, uh, came out of uh, Northern California, um, all the things that I did in my past life. But on top of that, he started an amazing company back in the 90s um, that uh, like raised $44 million, growing 20% a month. He talks a little bit about that. Um, but since then, he's kind of moved from entrepreneurship into investments. And he's taken that same uh, analytical mindset that he used to build his, his software company and brought it into his investing uh, company. And he talks a lot about, uh, unlike a lot of us who like to invest based on a particular asset class or based on a particular strategy, um, he's very agnostic to the types of investments he does. And he focuses more on um, the markets that he's in. And more importantly, he focuses on where we are in the economic cycle to determine what the right investments are moving forward. And on this show, he talks about um, the at least two uh, types of investments, asset classes and strategies that he sees to be uh, likely to perform well over the next couple of years and dives into the the economics and the data and the metrics that he's looking at to kind of drive him in that direction. And so I just, I, I love this, this episode. It really gets, uh, it got me to think, and I'm sure it'll get our listeners to think about what metrics you should be looking at, what data you should be looking at, and how you should be thinking about economic and political headwinds when making your investment decisions. So fantastic episode. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Without any further ado, let's welcome Bob Frazier to the show. Welcome to the show, Bob. We are so excited to have you. I'm looking forward to this. It'll be great. <laughs> Can you let us know a little bit about yourself, your background, and an introduction into Aspen Funds? Okay. So I'm actually a full-on nerd. I was a computer scientist from UC Berkeley, yes, and uh, Land of Crazy, and uh, uh, worked as a computer programmer for many years, and I loved writing code. I wrote tons and tons of most beautiful poetic code you could ever imagine, make a grown man weep, and um, ended up starting a uh, .com in the late 90s, and it blew up. Uh, ended up 300 employees, 20% month-to-month growth, uh, um, and uh, $44 million in venture capital. And I win the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. You know, me, little computer programmer. But what happened in that time is I got a, I call it a street MBA, you know. Um, and I say they're they're really, really good, but they're way more expensive. And uh, so I got my street MBA, mostly by the guys I hired who were way smarter than me, but I learned from them. And um, so that thing blew up and then it blew up and uh, lost everything, and uh, which is also great lessons, right? Makes me extremely risk averse and, you know, and wanting to find things that where you don't lose everything. Um, and it also made me very passionate about economics, you know? Um, so 
one of the things that happened, so in the, in the late 90s, if you had a .com, you had the worst .com in the planet, it went up, right? Didn't matter what your, how crappy your .com was. And then in 2001, it didn't matter how good your .com was, it went down, right? And so I, 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 I want to understand, well, wait a minute, what, is, what, are the, what are the markets telling you? And I became passionate about economics at that point. I mean, there's a point you could buy Amazon for 30 cents a share. Right. You know, the, no one wanted it. It was, you know, you know, stay away. So so I became passionate about economics. And then uh, t- 10 years ago, met my partner and we started investing in notes, real estate notes, which is a great time, by the way, to start distressed real estate note investing. Right. Because there was a lot of distressed real estate notes. And we built that up and really one of the industry leading funds and uh and in leveraging our expertise uh, today, and, and you know, we have our, our 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 team is very diverse. So we have people with venture capital experience. Uh, one of our partners is an attorney, a big five accounting firm. My you know, one of our partners is a banker and uh, oil and gas expertise. In addition, so we have this really broad broad base of expertise in economics and venture capital, real estate, and so we we're looking at where do we place our own capital? And it's not just multifamily real estate, right? Or single family. We want to place it lots of places. And so where's the smartest places to place it? Where's the best strategies to use? And then we, by the way, open it up to our friends as well and bring them along. But every deal we do, we do ourselves. Um, this we're placing, we're looking primarily for our own, our, a place to put our own capital. But we also open it up to to people that want to tag along. And uh, that's Aspen. That's awesome. And so you mentioned that you're, you're somewhat or, or very much um, uh, asset class agnostic. You're just looking for, for great investments. Yeah, what is your investing? What, what's your investing thesis? So, so what, what differentiates uh, an investment? What, what says to you, this is an investment that's worth doing a first pass underwriting or second pass underwriting um, if it's not based on a particular asset class? Yeah, we first develop a macro thesis, So, which I actually do on our podcast, Invest Like a Billionaire. We do kind of quarterly updates of, and it's really, what is our investment thesis? What do we think is going to do well right now? And there's always something that is going to do well. It doesn't matter how sucky, how fearful, what is going on, there is something that's going to do well. Well, what is it? And there's always something that's going to do really bad, right? Well, what are that? What are those things? And let's stay away from those. So we develop first our thesis first. That comes first. Then we figure out what the best strategies are in in this in these things, and then we then we then we find the best uh, op- operators and are the best way to invest, and we'll. We invest top down, so it's 100% top down, 100% driven by by macro trends. So some of the things you really can predict, right? You can't predict the waves that are coming to crash on the shore, but you can predict the tides. And so the the bigger motion is very predictable, and that's the stuff I want to invest in. You know, I can't predict the waves. I don't know what's going to happen to the market tomorrow. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen to oil and gas tomorrow, but I know what's going to happen to oil and gas over the next 10 years, okay, because the numbers simply don't lie. Um, so that's one area where we're very bullish on is oil and gas. And, you know, we can talk about why. Uh, very bullish on industrial real estate. Those are two of the areas that we're focusing on right right now, again, for macroeconomic reasons. 
And so I want to always invest where the tide is coming in, right? And when the tide comes in, all boats float. And even if I make a mistake on the boat I picked, it's still every boat floats, right? So I don't have to be a perfect picker of assets. I can make a mistake and there's lots of margin. And um, not that we're planning on making mistakes, but you get the idea, right? So I want the wind at my back. I want the tide under, under my keel. And, and I want, that's the way I primarily want to invest. So first of all, macro, then strategy, then operations. When you look at operations, uh, once you've identified a specific market, obviously operations are heavily tied to this particular asset class in which you're going totally. into. So is it something where you bring in an expert on the operations, um, or do you internally learn how to do the operations? What is kind of the strategic way that you position yourself for the best right. chance of operational success? We first look, do we have the expertise in-house 100% to do this? And for example, we've done multifamily, and uh, we have the expertise to do this. We don't need outside help. And oil and gas, we now we have oil and gas expertise in-house, but not enough. And so we partnered with a skilled operator who has a track record in the space of doing this. And so we, you know, we basically form an entity that uh, that where we're shared GP kind of authority and uh, general partnership roles, where we have a specific role. A lot of times, these operators they're very very good at what they do, but we we bring kind of you know um, institutional grade due diligence and underwriting and. Um, asset management, analytics, um, that kind of thing. Um, so we, we add a real financial component um, as, and, and then add that to really the technical expertise of the operators that we, that we partner with and join in. So mo, mo, it really depends on whether we have it in-house and, uh, you know, but we're, you know, you, you, can't, you can't have hubris in the investment world, right? You've got to get outside help. And, uh, and if you think you know it all, you know, you're, you will learn at some point uh, you do not. So we definitely want to partner with others who, who have a skilled uh, a track record in their area. So certainly we've seen um, uh, a change in the economic landscape over the last uh, six months. You could even say over the last couple of years. <laughs> um, and um, like you said, nobody knows exactly where things are going tomorrow or next month. But I think we all have some indication of, of where things are going over the next several years. Um, if for no other reason, then we have this thing called the business cycle and, and, and the economy is cyclical. So um, – what is your take on um, the the asset classes we should start paying attention to these days, um, based on what you're seeing in in in, in just in current economic? Yeah, state? great question. And first and foremost, so everybody's talking thinking about inflation, which they they should be, but we need to go a little bit further upstream and look at energy. Um, uh, what's happened in since 2015? Uh, 2015 was peak energy investment year. And this new narrative came out in about 2015 that we had reached peak fossil fuel demand, the world had. And this is during the Obama kind of recession, right? And lower demand and, and you know, the green revolution is working. And what happened is investment in energy and oil and gas production and infrastructure has dropped by over half. 
over half in the last seven years. And you can think that's that's maybe bad, but it's not bad. It's really bad um, because energy is very different than the other asset class. It requires billions and billions in investment just to maintain, right? These are depleting resources. And the green revolution, I mean, just to give you an example, I think last year, uh, 5% of cars sold were EVs, EVs, electric vehicles, but used up um, 66% of global lithium production. Do the math. So the green revolution, while we all want to be green, it's not ready for to carry the mail, right? It just isn't. But energy energy investment has dropped by half. So we have a massive, massive energy problem. Add on to that Ukraine. I mean, this was all pre-Ukraine, okay? Well, so energy energy is going to be because of the of the narrative of of you know the really overly optimistic narrative of the Green Revolution. Uh, we have a massive energy problem across the globe. And the, the interesting news is that America is actually surprisingly well-positioned, right? Because we're, do you know America is actually the number one oil producer in the world? And people don't know that. And what's more is we don't have to ship oil very far. It's actually produced where it's consumed. And it, I mean, it's, we're, we're very well positioned. positioned. A China is in terrible position. Europe is in even a worse position. And we have a massive energy crisis that is brewing right now, and it is going to continue to brew. And uh, we do we are going to see high energy prices. Well, so that matters. One, you know, you get pissed when you're when you're putting fuel into your tank. Let's get on the other side of that. Let's be the guy that's putting the fuel in the tank, right? That's my view, right? There's always something that's working. Whatever you think is not working, get on the other side of it, right? <laughs> And so I'm going to be the guy that's putting fuel in the tanks. And we just, like I said, bought an oil and gas field in, in western Kansas. It's already producing, you know. Um, so it's a value-add play. It's so cool. It's just almost, you know, can I say risk-free? It's so arrogant to say that, but it feels like it. You know, it certainly isn't, of course. But it's like it's already producing. And plus it has lots of upside. But Energy is a, is major, and the other the other thing that that produces energy is the mother of all commodities. So, oil and gas is used to produce wheat. It's used to produce lithium. It's used to produce, you know, everything. And so, if oil, if energy remains high priced, everything is going to be high priced. So it feeds into the inflation narrative, and we are going to see elevated inflation. Inflation. I believe we've seen peak inflation, um, but I, th I think it's going to moderate, but I don't think it's going to go back to normal, uh, meaning a 2% range. And so that leads to lots of other real estate opportunities. You know, uh, when in high inflation, the way to win is one, borrow debt at fixed rates, which is what our government knows, right? And, and, and two, get inflation-protected assets. And that real estate can be a great one of those. So so those are some of the main trends we're looking at right now. I think that is very well said. I really, in particular, love the statistics behind the uh, rate of EV charge, uh, EV uh, cars sold in comparison to um, the energy consumed. I think we're seeing that most recently with the California directive over the past few days where, um, you know, 
residents were alerted to not charge their cars because it was shutting down the power grid. I mean, case in point, exactly what you just mentioned. And to your point, this story was already there to be told and no one was paying attention to it. Right. You know, the data was there. So um, that that was a perfect example. And it segues me into my follow-up question, which is, with respect to someone who is not as entrenched into what you're looking at day to day, can you speak on maybe some uh, macro data points that people should be concerned about and, and looking looking to a specifically in terms of aligning themselves with groups like yours um, to invest passively with? Yeah, and you're looking for macro trends that we're following. Primarily, yes, yeah. The biggie is inflation. It is. It is. Inflation is a massive transfer of wealth from creditors to borrowers. Massive. And if you look at, you know, our government has has had a higher, a, a, a greater than a hundred percent debt to GDP ratio many times in the past, and we've never defaulted. And the reason we haven't is because of inflation. You simply inflate away the debt. And so inflation is you want to borrow money. And there's a whole school of thought out there that says don't borrow money, debt is evil. You know, that's an, that's an idiot's moronic view. Debt is a rich man's tool and, and it's smart debt is smart. And, um, you know, we're looking at, for example, we're just buying, we're just getting ready to do a big multifamily purchase. It has assumable Fannie Mae debt at three and a half percent. That's the reason we're doing the deal. Yeah. Okay. So in, inflation is a biggie. It's a biggie. Um, and it affects absolutely everything. So I've been telling people borrow money at fixed rates uh, below the inflation rate means you're, get, you're basically being paid to borrow and invest it in inflation protected assets. So that is the secret sauce of this, this era, which is the next decade. That's going to be the way to get outsized returns. And number one thing we should be looking at. You know, another area that we haven't talked about that I'm super excited about is industrial real estate. And this, you know, so, you know, yesterday's story was the e-commerce revolution, right, which caused an incredible surge in demand for industrial revolution. You know, think giant Amazon warehouses, et cetera. And that's actually, that trend is actually leveling off. Okay. So, hey, maybe it's not time to be investing in industrial real estate, except what happened in 2020 with the COVID crisis is suddenly the world woke up to supply chains. And we have had this, this globalization. So we're, we're seeing the end of globalization. And that that's, may sound apocalyptic. It really isn't. Globalization was this really weird idea that, hey, let's not build anything locally. Let's you know, let's get everything shipped, and it ignores major issues like you know the fact that China is run by a communist government that is you know killing people, imprisoning people, and you know can change on a dime. And there's risk that they're introducing. So what's happening is a massive trend of reshoring and a massive trend of local manufacturing. We're seeing virtually every manufacturer is adding inventory space and adding manufacturing space locally in the United States. So we're seeing, think about the e-commerce trend, the 10-year trend that created demand. This is another 
10-year megatrend, creating another 10 years of demand for large, large box industrial real estate. This is not going away. It's a very big deal. I think last year, last year the, the, the vacancy rate in industrial real estate was around 4%. They added 300 million square feet. I, I think that's the right number of brand new industrial real estate. Guess what happened to the vacancy rate? It dropped to 2.9%. Wow. Incredible amounts of construction and incredible amounts of absorption. There's just nothing to be had. And so, you know, our strategy has been to build and we actually have expertise in doing this. We, one of our partners has been doing this. And so we're building industrial and, um, and very bullish on this. This is this is this is absolutely one of the best ways to play uh, uh, both the inflation and the macro trends that are not changing. These things are not going. Nothing's going to reverse this need for local manufacturing and this need for local inventory in the next year. Nothing. It's not changing. Right. That's so. That's the tide that we're we're very bullish on. And the interesting thing is that um, the the second thing you mentioned plays into the first. The fact that we're starting to see a lot of a lot more onshore manufacturing, a lot of domestic manufacturing, and, and certainly there's been a, a lot of data that's come out the last couple of months that says that that's picking up tremendously, um, is also likely to lead to what you said, which is higher than than average inflation, simply because at least at this point. We, we've yet to, to we're, we're not a, 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 a producing nation at this point, uh, at least not in terms of commodities. Um, and we're likely to be paying more to produce stuff onshore than yeah. we are to, to import, at least if you look at the cost yeah. of importing prior what, to the supply chain well, issue. Well, Jay, it's actually changing. So if you actually factor in robotics, you, so if you look at, so if you yep. look in just the, the China, wages in China, Wages in China have gone up sixfold in the last yes. 20 years. China is not that yep. competitive anymore. It's only because of the existing infrastructure that makes it competitive. If you add shipping, you add robotics, it's actually America is not that expensive. Now, here's the secret. The, 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 the secret that tips the scale is energy. If you throw in energy security and energy costs – America is an absolute winner. Do you know? You know our cost for natural gas, by the way, is is around one fifth of what they're paying in Asia for natural gas and in Europe. Um, so, if you're manufacturing plastics or using plastic, it's America is the place to be because our our energy cost structure is lower. Plus, our energy security is there. Right? You know, there's no disruption going to happen. So, so it's actually that's it's been, what you've said has been true, but it's actually shifting. Yep, hundred percent. I, I want to go. I want to shift onto something that I know you've said. Uh, I think you and Ashley had had discussed this in the past, and Ash, Ashley mentioned this, and I love this. Um, that uh, along with your investing thesis of where is the economy heading, what are the right asset classes, and the right strategies within those asset classes based on where the economy is heading. Um, you're also very market focused, I believe. Um, is that true? And can you talk a little bit about how you view uh, specific locational dependent investments um, as opposed to asset class dependent investments? Yeah, you have to be um, market dependent. Um, you know, you know, for example, real estate in the coast is not something I want to be in, right? And and you look at the Sun Belt states; uh, those kind of things are, you know, tr you know, have been high growth. 
Uh, you look at the change in migration patterns and taxes and everything else. You know, creates creates a lot of demand for for real estate in Florida, Texas, uh, other other places like that. So we definitely look at location first and foremost. Um, you know, when we're when we're looking at investment, you know, so I, I think that's uh, something yeah, investors have to pay a lot of attention to as well. Awesome. And um, again, I, I think the I think the metrics are changing there. I mean, what was good geographies in the past is not necessarily going to be great geographies in the in the days ahead. Fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit about? So you mentioned um, that you sometimes work with friends. Um, do you make your investments available to um, to other investors either through uh, through five hundred six B or five hundred six C or some other uh, uh, exemption? So if our listeners might be interested in investing with you, do they have that opportunity? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you can just go to AspenFunds.us and get on our investor list. We're, we do we're doing about a deal a month right now, and um, and uh, you know, but we don't we're not trying to do deals. It's only if we find something perfect, you know, and something fantastic, we're 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 going after it. So, with respect to those opportunities, is there a minimum investment that someone is able to come in? Yeah, our minimums. I think you know, it depends on every deal. Um, you know, our minimums are low as fifty grand, um, and we do waive those. You know, don't tell anybody. <laughs> so, so. And the, is there a specific time period too in which they can expect their investment to be tied up? You know, every, everything is different. Um, we actually have a note fund that is still world class note fund that's been operating ten years and it's fully liquid. So. Get your money out on any quarter that you want. Never missed yet in ten years. And um, but then we have other deals, you know, opportunity zone deals that are ten years. Uh, this this uh, this oil this energy deal we're doing. This is a never exit one. Uh, hold hold till you die, but it's going to pay back investors within the first couple of years. So so you get all your cash back. It's such a cash cow, and uh, you know, and then just hold it. Uh, so we don't have an exit plan. So every every one of our deals is very different. Awesome. Um, okay. Well, now is the point in the show that we'd like to move into where we ask you the same three questions that we've asked oh, all so of our tricky. guests. <laughs> so tricky. Yeah, we're, 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 we're it's trivia. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, Ash, you want to take question number one? Absolutely. What new thing have you recently invested in or are currently researching? So one of the areas that we're really liking is the short-term rentals. Um, you know, believe that's a that's a uh, uh, area of great opportunity, and it's kind of another mega trend um, as the world is choosing the way it wants to take its holidays and uh, those kind of things. So, so. Um, we're looking at that, evaluating different opportunities, understanding what, evaluating what of our best strategies are right there this time. Awesome. Question number two. Um, we've already talked a little bit about economic shifts, um, but are there any other that we haven't covered, either economic shifts or legislation or socio-political issues that you're currently looking at that you feel will either be a boon to your business or a risk to your business in the near future? Yeah, and I already, I think I'll just reiterate, you know, in, inflation is both your greatest enemy and your your greatest tailwind. You pick. 
Um, so cash is on fire right now. If you own, you holding cash, stop it. Uh, it's a, it's a sin against, against all things green. Do not hold cash. And it is, it is just light a match. And, uh, you know, so get out of cash, get good debt and invest it, you know, and then energy, pay attention to the energy markets because it's going to drive absolutely everything. We're going to see high inflation. It's going to be sustained for a while. And we're, we're likely to see global turmoil because of inflation and other and other energy crisis. So, you know, and, and, and you know, for uh, U.S. based people, you know, we're actually have super well situated. So. Um, primarily focus in the U.S. at this time. And finally, our last question, which is what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? It can be investing focused or not. Wow. Um, gosh, that is so tricky. Um, you know, maybe maybe watch the passive investing show. You know, it's the key to <laughs> wealth creation. <laughs> Well, let, let, let me add, let me add to that um, the the invest like a billionaire podcast um, that <laughs> I was thrilled to be on your podcast. I was thrilled to be on a couple of weeks ago. Um, certainly, I would recommend all of our listeners check that out if they haven't. Um, Bob, for anybody that wants to get uh, more information about you, more information about Aspen Funds, maybe wants to invest with Aspen Funds, where do they go? Where can they find out more? Aspen Funds, like the tree, F-U-N-D-S dot U-S. And uh, Invest Like a Billionaire, we're really training people how to get out of the public markets and do private investments uh, like billionaires do, 50% of their wealth outside of the public markets and whether you can actually control them. Thank you again, Bob, for joining us today. We've thoroughly enjoyed the show. If you've enjoyed listening to this show, make sure to check out Bob at aspenfunds.us, where you can also link to Invest Like a Billionaire podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to this show and other shows, make sure to like, share, and subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast platform. We hope this show and this particular episode has helped continue your journey, having your money work hard for you.